Hi, I'm Amanda McCollum. I may not be who you were expecting to see this morning, but I'm really excited to be here talking to you. And I wanted to start today by kind of telling you who I am, how I ended up at believing, and why I'm speaking to you today. So like I already said, I'm Amanda McCollum. I'm wife to Timothy McCollum. I'm mom to Dax and Miles McCollum. Um, by day, by trade, I am an HR consultant. And I hesitate to tell people that because they think I'm a mean HR lady who fires people and writes people up all the time, which is the opposite of what I try to do in my daily job. I view my job as a ministry. I think that most people in the United States, myself included, work because we have to. Our mamas and daddies didn't leave us a bunch of money. We're not independently wealthy. We, we gotta work. So my theory is that everyone should be able to work in a place where they feel safe, where they feel respected, um, where laws are held to and abided by. So that's what I try to help my clients do. I'm not a preacher, I'm not a public speaker, as you might already be able to tell. Um, I might stumble over my words, um, but I am someone that loves Jesus and loves the church. And that brings me to why or how I got involved with Believing Church. I am someone that grew up in the church my whole life. I don't remember a time in my life when I was not involved in a church. And the church has been a lifeline for me in many different times in my life. It has just carried me through. Um, but because churches are made up of people like me, sometimes church situations can get complicated um, because people like me are complicated and struggle. And several years ago, my husband and I were in a complicated church situation where people got hurt, we got hurt. I could honestly say I think that, that our absence hurt people there. Um, and it was just a really painful time for our family. And we thought we need to find a place where we can go as a family and thrive and grow. And around that same time, Michael and Mindy and Tucker bought the house that backed up to our house. Um, we shared a short see-through chain link fence. So, I mean, you were all up in each other's business. And I kind of knew Michael and Mindy um, from growing up in the church in Memphis. Um, we were kind of in the same church circles. And then we actually also went to the same college outside of Dallas, the same Bible college. And while we were there, we volunteered at the same church. So I knew who they were. I knew their heart for Jesus. Um, but I was really surprised that they became my next door neighbor or backyard neighbor. And I found out that they moved here because God had called them to plant a church in our city that looked like our city. And I remember telling my husband, that is so cool. I'm so happy for them. That is so needed. We're not going to church there. I'm like, I know them. I consider them my friends. They're our neighbors. That is too much connection. We're not going, but we can go on the very first Sunday and support them and, you know, you know, tell them how awesome it is. So we went the first Sunday and long story short, we've been here ever since. Uh, this has been a place that God has really um, ministered to my family, really helped us grow and help us know him more. And we're thankful to be a part of believing. So um, I would say that even though I'm not a public speaker or a preacher, that I am qualified to speak to you today for two reasons. The first is 
I'm not very different from the woman at the well. And if you're familiar with that story, it takes place in John chapter four, and it's a woman who is at the well in the middle of the day, and Jesus comes up to her and engages her in conversation. And they talk together, and she actually tries to pull one over on Jesus. She tells a little lie, and he calls her out on it and tells her all this stuff that there's no way he could know about this woman. And she says, hold up, you are the Messiah. I want what you have. I want this living water. And she went back to her village and she told everybody, I have just met this man who knows all about me. He is the Messiah. Come and see him. So I would say I've experienced that in my life. I have met with Jesus. I have interacted with him. He has called me out on junk in my life and he still will. And that's why I'm here today, because I want to tell y'all about Jesus, about this Messiah that's changed my life. And the second reason that I would say I'm qualified to speak today is because our sermons, our current sermon series is about dinner with Jesus. Um, if you were here last week, um, you heard Michael's message about um, dining with sinners. Jesus intentionally making time to engage and interact and eat with people who were different from him, who were far from God, who needed him. And it was awesome. But I love talking about dinner because I love food. I love to eat. And I'm not embarrassed about that. I don't say that in a self-depreciating way. I think food is awesome. I love strong flavors. I love unique flavor combinations. I love that our church sits on one of the most awesome restaurant streets in our city, sandwiched between two of my favorite Mexican restaurants and right in front of Jerusalem Market that has awesome hummus and chicken shawarma. I just really enjoy food. Um, I already mentioned that I'm an HR person, so I spend a lot of my time trying to understand people, trying to empathize with people, put myself in their shoes. But one people group that I have never really been able to empathize with are people that say they got too busy and they forgot to eat. Like, that's never, ever happened to me in my life. Yes, I've missed a meal, but I am keenly aware that I have missed this meal. Like, I wake up in the morning knowing when I'm eating breakfast, what I'm eating for breakfast, what I'm having for lunch, what I'm having for dinner. Like, it is part of my day. I'm going to take a bath, I'm going to brush my teeth, and I'm going to eat three meals, maybe a snack. So... I just love to eat. Um, another example of that would be a lot of people have favorite shows they watch on TV. Um, a few years ago, this show came on Netflix as a documentary called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat. And it's just a four-part documentary about food. And it's a chef that goes to all these different places all over the world and talks about these different elements of food and cooking and how food gets its flavor. Y'all. I was profoundly impacted by this show. After I watched the salt episode, my husband came in the kitchen and caught me like making little taste test stations of soy sauce. Like I was just locked into this docu-series. So much so that when it ended at the end of the four part, I teared up. I got all choked up about it. Like people do when their favorite sitcom ends, right? I was like, that was so beautiful. So have I convinced you yet? I really like food. I like to eat. And that brings us back to the sermon series because Jesus did too. I doubt Jesus was making soy sauce sampling stations in his kitchen, but he definitely throughout scripture showed that he made intentional time to interact with people around meals. So that brings us to our text for today. And what's interesting about this text is 
There's not any mention of food in it, but I guarantee you there was food at this event. This would be a perfect example of Jesus having dinner with people. So let's read. The text today is from John chapter 2. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So think about a gallon of milk, 20 or 30 gallons per jar, and there's six jars. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants that had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So when I read this passage of scripture, the first thing that stuck out to me was that Jesus, his family, his friends, his mom, his disciples went to cultural events. They went to things going on in their city that people would have been invited to because Jesus saw value in interacting with people. He rejoiced with people who were rejoicing. Where have I heard that before? Um, so that made me think about my own life. And aside from just enjoying great food and loving the experience of eating, I really love the experience of sharing a meal with other people and gathering together. And one of the best opportunities I've had to do that in our church is through Taco Tuesday. Um, it's a small group we have that just meets just next door at La Guadalapana, um, two Tuesdays a month right now. And that is something that my family does. We do certain things as McCollum's, we have like family creeds. We go to Taco Tuesday is one of them. And my children have spent the better part of five years knowing, hey, if it's Tuesday, there's a good chance that we're going and eating with people from church and hanging out. And I would say about this group, it's not a Bible study. We don't break out the Bible. We don't pray there. We don't, you know, talk always about huge things God's going on, God is doing in our life. Sometimes we do, but a lot of times we just talk about our lives. Sometimes good things, sometimes bad things, sometimes challenging things. But it has been one of the sweetest ways to connect with people. And some of my very best friendships are as a result of Taco Tuesday. I asked a few of my regulars at Taco Tuesday if they would tell me why they like to attend, and they had no idea I would be quoting them um, during this message. But Heather said, I like coming for the fellowship outside of church to see friends and catch up with people I may not have seen for a while. Also, it's nice to meet new people when they come as well. Vicki said, I love Taco Tuesday because I think fellowship and food go hand in hand. Same girl, same. And the food is yumalicious. I also get to hug some of my favorite humans. And Lucy said, I'm a homebody through and through and would rather not leave home. But one thing I've learned of believing is that we all need community. I love going to Taco Tuesday to eat cheese dip and get to know people outside of church. 
although this wedding that we read about that Jesus attended was kind of a special event, right, a wedding, the act of interacting with people was something Jesus did all the time, all throughout scripture. And this was an ordinary event for people in his town. Uh, people knew him there, maybe people didn't know him, but it was an event where Jesus went to interact with people, he remained sensitive to the voice of God, and this ordinary event became the setting for something really supernatural and glorious. So the first question I had in reading this was, do you intentionally make time to spend with others and when you do, do you remain open to the leading of the Spirit? Do you think of it as, I'm just going to Taco Tuesday? Or do you think, God might want to impact my life or the life of someone else in this setting? And going back to the scripture, verse 3 says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So, the next thing I thought when I read through this is Mary saw a practical need and knew Jesus could do something about it. And let's talk about this need for a second, okay? This wasn't like a need where the bride had gone missing and they needed Jesus and a crew to go find her or the bridegroom had not choked on a piece of charcuterie and needed to be resurrected from the dead or the mother-in-law wasn't possessed by a demon that we know of. You know, this was pretty unusual request. This request was more about the reputation of the family involved. Mary knew that if they ran out of wine, it would be embarrassing, it would be shameful to this family. And Mary knew Jesus arguably better than anyone else, and she knew she could bring this kind of need to him. So another thing that my family, the McCollum family does, is we come to Wednesday night prayer at church. And I already mentioned my sons, Dax and Miles. Miles is eight years old, he has Down syndrome, he has an abundance of energy and a very low attention span. So Miles does not come to Wednesday night prayer, but me and Timothy and Dax come to prayer and we take turns tag teaming, mom and dad do. Mom and dad take turns bringing Dax. And coming to prayer with Dax has just been the sweetest and best experience. Um, as a family, Timothy and I pray together every morning and sometimes Dax will come in and hear us. But I would also argue that coming to Wednesday night prayer has really taught Dax how to pray and how to be comfortable praying because we model that for him here and at home. So um, one Wednesday night at prayer, Dax is always trying to negotiate with me. Can I bring my device? No. Can I bring a paper airplane? No, Dax. Can I bring this journal and this pencil? Like knock yourself out, write, draw, whatever you want, just come to prayer. So one Wednesday night, we were sitting there, just me and little Dax, he's 10 years old, and we go through the same kind of prayer focus each week. So we know what's coming, we know what to expect, and the first is always giving thanks to God. So Dax wrote, give thanks, and drew a line, and then he just started writing things he was thankful for. Our dog, which is always first. His dad, me, I was just glad I made the list. His brother, who usually doesn't make the list. You know, video games he's playing, friends he has. So I'm kind of praying and kind of watching Dax's list. I'm like, this is really sweet. Well, he finished and then he handed me his pencil. I'm like, okay. So I start writing, you know, Dax, daddy, our house. I go through the list and I'm thinking, this is a really sweet mother-son bonding experience. You know, we are, we are really having a sweet spiritual moment here. 
Well, then we move to our next prayer focus, which is confession. So just like he did before, Dax wrote confession, drew a little line, and then handed the pencil to me first. And every week when I'm at prayer with Dax, I try to pray out loud for him to model the act of prayer. But confession's a tricky one, right? Because I don't want to scandalize my 10-year-old by telling him like my most shameful, horrible secrets. But I also want him to know, moms still screw up. Moms still need to confess things every single week. So I start writing my confession list. I'm going kind of broad and vague. You know, I'm writing like selfish, greedy, like to put myself first. And Dax is just watching. He also like chimes in. It's like, how are you greedy this week? So I'm trying to talk to him. So I read a few things. I'm like, okay, buddy, it's your turn. And I hand him the pencil and he looked at the page and looked at me and he's like, I do this part in my head. I'm like, man, this kid just pulled one over on me. He got me to write all my dirty secrets and he's not gonna do it. But I love coming to prayer with Dax and every week is different. But at the end of prayer, we gather together as a group and pray corporately for needs that anyone might have. And I love that Dax is not afraid to ask for prayer. Almost every single week, his hand shoots up. My mom heart gets nervous because I never know what he's going to say. Sometimes it's something really sweet and practical. You know, let's pray for all the kids doing the TCAP. Sweet prayer request. Sometimes it's like, I want to pray that my dog Brutus stays brutiful. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But I love that Dax is not afraid to ask God for things. And that's a silly example, but it brings me back to Mary. Mary knew Jesus better than anyone else. And we don't know what she expected Jesus to do. Jesus had not done a public miracle at this point. So I don't know if she thought Jesus was like gonna smooth something over with people, if he was gonna call a prayer meeting and distract everybody from there being no wine. I have no idea what she expected Jesus to do, but I know that she knew she could come to him with her request. And she told the servants to be ready. So the question I have for you is, when is the last time you've opened your heart up to Jesus and asked him to help you with the big and little things in your life? When he doesn't answer how or when you expect, do you still anticipate he's working? Going back to the scripture, now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And when I read this, I thought, Jesus included the servants, those going about their daily jobs to be part of his miracle. He asked them to do something without any explanation and they did it. Don't we think Jesus is powerful? He could have just snapped his fingers and those jars had been filled up with wine. I think so. I don't know why he wouldn't have, but he chose to use the servants. And I believe Jesus operates in the same way today. This story made me think about my mom. My mom recently retired just over a year ago from being a nurse. She was a nurse for 44 years. And in her last many years of nursing, she served in the OR, in surgery, in the operating room. And my mom is someone who loves Jesus, who saw her job as an extension of ministry. She spent most mornings driving from South Haven to Germantown, praying, praying about her day, praying for her patients, praying for the doctors she worked with, praying for the cases, the families involved. 
And my mom was very serious about complying with HIPAA and patient privacy. So she would never tell me if she saw someone I knew having surgery. But it was not uncommon for me to have someone text me, call me, email me and say, I saw your mom, I had surgery, or my mom was having surgery, or my husband was having surgery. We were so scared, we were so freaked out. Your mom came in, she recognized us, she prayed for us, she answered all of our questions, she was there for us, and we are just so thankful. And then I was able to tell my mom that. There is not much as scary in this life as waiting to have surgery. Like in most cases, you're laying there wearing a paper gown or a sheet, you missed a meal, which I would be keenly aware of. You've heard all these possible things that could happen to you and you have to sign off that you still want it to be done. And you know, when you wake up from surgery, you're probably gonna be feeling pretty rough. So that's a rough situation. Imagine the impact of having someone walk in to reassure you, comfort you, pray with you, answer your questions. That was an opportunity that my mom had to partner with Jesus in her daily life to make an impact in the lives of others. Now, most of us aren't spending every day in surgery, thank goodness. Most of us aren't going to big events like weddings every day, but I would say it doesn't need to be a big event like a wedding or a scary event like a surgery because God is ready to use us and partner with us in the most ordinary circumstances of life. We have to be willing to listen to him though and ready to respond. I really like this author named Anne Lamott. She is funny. She writes the way I think. She's very conversational. Um, she says some things that are profound and point me to Jesus. She says some things I don't agree with and that offend me. Sometimes she says them all in the same book, sometimes in the same paragraph. But she has the story that I really love that I wanna share with you today. And I'm gonna set this story up for you and then I'm gonna actually read her words. But the setup for this story is Anne Lamont woke up, it was her birthday, her 49th birthday. And this took place years and years ago before social media. And she woke up and she was in a terrible mood. She turned on the TV and was just fueled with rage about this world we live in, the president at that time, everything that was going wrong. She was just infuriated. So she said, I'm gonna call my friend Tom. Tom is a priest, I'm gonna call Tom, ask him what's going on good in the world and just get out of this funk. So um, I'm gonna take over reading now. Tom thought for a while. Well, he said finally, my cactuses are blooming. Last week they were ugly and reptilian and now they're bursting with red and pink blossoms. They don't bloom every year, so you have to love them while they're here. I hate cactuses, I said. I wanna know what to do about helping others, changing our world. Where can we even start? Tom said, well, we start by being kind to ourselves. We breathe, we eat. We remember God is present wherever people are suffering. And Anne's like, I, I, I know that, but how do we help? How do we not go crazy? And he said, will you take care of the suffering? And she said, I can't go to Iraq and that's where people are suffering. He said, Anne, there are people who are miserable here. So after we got off the phone, I ate a few birthday chocolates. Then I asked God to help me be helpful. It was the first time that day that I felt my prayers were sent and then received, like an email. I tried to cooperate with grace, which is to say, I didn't turn the TV back on. Instead, I drove to the market in silence to buy my birthday dinner. I asked God to help me again. The problem with God, or at any rate, one of the top five most annoying things about God is that he rarely answers right away. It can be days, weeks. 
Some people seem to understand this, that life and change take time, but I'm not one of those people. I'm an instant message type, but I prayed, God help me. I got to the store and I flirted with everyone, especially the old people, and I lightened up. When the checker finished ringing up my items, she looked at my receipt and cried, hey, you've won a ham. I felt blindsided by this news. I had asked for help, not a ham. It was very disturbing. What on earth was I gonna do with 10 pounds of salty pink eraser? I rarely eat it, it makes me bloat. Wow, I said. The checker was so excited about giving me the ham that I pretended I was too. Wow, how great. A bagger was dispatched to the back of the store to get my ham. I stood waiting anxiously. I wanted to get home so I could start caring for suffering people or turn the TV back on. I almost suggested that the checker award it to the next family who paid with food stamps. But for some reason, I waited. If God was giving me a ham, I'd be crazy not to receive it. Maybe it was the ham of God who takes away the sins of the world. I waited for 10 minutes for what I began to think of as that stupid ham. Finally, the bag boy handed me a parcel the size of a cat. I put it with feigned cheer into my grocery cart and I walked to the car, trying to figure out who might need it. I thought about checking it out the window near a field. I was so distracted that I crashed my cart smack into a slow moving car in the parking lot. I started to apologize when I noticed that the car was a rusty wreck and that an old friend was behind the wheel. We got sober together a long time ago and each had a son at the same time. She opened her window and I said, hey, how are you? It's my birthday. Happy birthday, she said. And then she started crying. She looked drained and pinched and after a moment she pointed to the gas gauge of her car. I don't have money for gas or food. I've never asked for help from a friend since I've been sober, but I'm asking you to help me. I've got money you can have, I said. No, no, really, I just need gas. She said, I've never asked someone for a handout. It's not a handout, I told her. It's my birthday present. I thrust a bunch of money into her hand, all the money I had. Then I reached in my shopping cart and held out the ham to her like a clown doffing flowers. Hey, I said, do you and your kids like ham? We love it, she said. We eat it every day. She put the ham in the seat beside her firmly, lovingly, as if she was about to strap it in, and then she cried some more. I think the story is really funny, but I also think it's a great reflection of how God often works in our lives. So many times we say, hey, God, use me in people's lives. Use me in the lives of the suffering, and we have expectations of how that's going to look, but Jesus puts people in our path all the time. We run our shopping cart into their car, and we need to be ready to hear from him. Maybe like the people at the wedding, their reputation's at stake. Maybe like people who are waiting surgery, they're afraid and need a reassuring voice or prayer. Maybe the people around us need a very practical need met like a ham from God. So another question I have for you is, when is the last time you've asked God to use you in your daily life? While at work, at school, at the grocery store, in a restaurant? I ask God all the time, how could you use me as an HR consultant today? Because that's where I spend more time in my week than I spend anywhere else. Let's go back to the verses. Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. 
So let's think about this. The disciples that already knew Jesus, that had already started following him, they had already seen Jesus be baptized. They witnessed this glorious event that took place in the ordinary and they believed Jesus as a result. These disciples saw Jesus meet a very practical need. They saw him show concern for the reputation of a local family. They saw him respond to the request of his mother. They saw him include the servants who were going about their daily lives. And they saw the miraculous and they believed him as a result. Have you ever had an experience with Jesus in your ordinary life that led you to believe in him? In many church circles, it's very common for us to tell our testimonies. And a lot of times the testimony we tell is our story of salvation. We didn't know Jesus, we got saved, and here's how my life has changed. But that salvation story is kind of the main part of the story. And of course, that is the most important decision, the most important part of our story that there could ever be. But I would tell you today, I believe that is page one of our story. That is the very beginning of the story of our full and abundant life in Jesus. I have a coworker named Mark that just had his first granddaughter, um, first grandbaby, little girl granddaughter. And I saw him in the hall shortly after her birth. I'm like, Mark, how's your grandbaby? And he was so excited. He told me all these details about her birth, how long he sat in the waiting room, how his wife didn't text him enough, how the nurses came and checked on him. And then he showed me pictures of his new grandbaby, which were those squishy, brand new, newborn baby pictures, which are very sweet, but it meant a lot more to Mark than it meant to me. But he was thrilled. And if I go back six months from now and ask Mark about his grandbaby, he's not gonna tell me that story of her birth again. He's gonna tell me what she's doing now. He's not gonna show me that little newborn squishy face picture. He's gonna show me an updated picture. What does she look like now? How is she developing? If I wait six more months, get around the year mark, Mark's gonna start showing me pictures or videos of his granddaughter stumbling around like a drunk person, learning how to walk. This is just part of development. And I would say that Jesus wants that for us too. We need salvation, we need page one, but there is a plan for our lives to have a full and abundant life in Jesus. So today I have two challenges for you. The first is, have you experienced Jesus in a way that has made you believe in him? This can and certainly should mean salvation with Jesus. This can also mean physical or emotional healing, this can be on the bumpy road to recovery from addiction. This can mean having hope in your life where there should be despair. This can mean having peace, that peace that passes all understanding in a situation where it makes no sense to have peace. This can mean joy, following a period of grief that feels so dark you don't feel like you're ever going to get out of it. If you have not believed in Jesus before today, I would encourage you to open up your heart and life and accept him today. It's an ordinary Sunday morning, but Jesus is ready to reveal his glory in your life. The second challenge I would have for you is have you made yourself available for Jesus to use you in the everyday, ordinary situations of your life? While I've talked today, have you thought about the people that you interact with the most, the places where you work, the school you go to, the restaurants you go to, the people you interact with? How beautiful is it that God wants to use us to reveal his glory in the lives of others on an everyday basis if we are available? Are you available for that today? Let's pray together. 
God, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your truth with the people who are listening today. And God, I pray that they would hear your voice louder than they heard mine, that they would feel your love, your compassion, your desire to make yourself known in their lives in such a way that they believe in you. And I pray that that would happen to everyone under the sound of my voice today, God. I also pray that every single person would have a newfound conviction, a drive to be made available to be used by you in everyday situations of our lives. We are ambassadors of yours, God, ready to be used, ready to make your name known in this world that we live. And we thank you so much that you're willing to use us for your glory to be made known. In your name we pray. Amen.